I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny BT. And the full band is back together this week. Benji, you're back. How you doing? I'm good, boys. I'm good. Thank you. Some busy times, some busy moments, but now uh, international rugby's back, you know, so, you know, so I put on my my rugby hat and my 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 rugby nose is getting wetter and wetter and more excited. I'm like a hunting dog, you know, knowing that international rugby is back in Six Nations that we adore so much with its ups and downs, its bruises and all that. After a bit of Champions Cup rugby, I must say that was quite excitable or exciting. I'm really happy to be back. Speaking of which, the last time I saw you, I think somewhere between Galway, Dublin, side of a road somewhere. What have you been up to last few weeks? <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of a, um, just to fill you in, Johnny, there was a little bit of a bladder problem. So clearly, <laughs> if if you're in the trenches of war and, you know, the enemy rocks up and he's like, who did this? Well, there's going to be one guy pointing at you, at you at yourself, basically. Who pissed and, themselves? Who did it? No, 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 no. And basically, that's Tim. Is that, no, no, it's not, it's not for me, but Ben really, really want and wants to stop, please. So it's not, I can hold on for hours, you know, it's fine. But re- ben, ben is about to collapse. So can you please, please, please stop for him? It was an I am Spartacus <laughs> moment, Johnny. I tell you what, we had, we had good fun. We went to, we went to do um, Connacht Leicester in Galway and, and did a little fun trip back with all the, all the band from BT and Tim was there and we chopped some, some wine and it was just happy, good people having a laugh, feeling just slowly in the UK, at least, you know, things coming back to normal and everybody, oh, in Ireland next week, there's no more masks. And in England, oh, it's the week after there's no more masks, you know? So, <laughs> so it's, it's been quite exciting. I uh, had a good old laugh. And then after a great game of rugby, it was really enjoyable. Caught up with some mates in Dublin, which was great for, for my work. But then Leinster Montpellier, oh my word, was the biggest ass whipping I've seen in a long, long time. Almost no joy, like almost like, come on, just, you know, at halftime, they should have shook on it. Happy, done bonus, yep. <laughs> How's your week, Johnny? It's been all right. Um, was up in Paris last night for the Stade Francais against Toulon game. Back down the road to Beirut's airport this morning. And everything seems to be slowly back to normal now. And yeah, like Benji mentioned, just pumped for what is about to come around the corner. The next two months of rugby, I think everyone, all rugby fans are ready for live sport to get back into the stadiums, to get back down the pub and enjoy it and have rugby back and have a bit of normality back so no it's been a good week and looking forward to what is about to come around the corner over the next few weeks we will come on to Fabian Gautier's preparations for the Six Nations and how France is shaping up ahead of the tournament before too long but you mentioned you were working on the top 14 at the weekend so let's touch on that for a minute first how was the game you did Johnny 
bizarre, honestly. It was Stade Francais at home and neither team really in their position they should be in the top 14, like two big budgets, too long second bottom as they went into the game. I think Stade Francais were 11th or 12th. Just quite a strange feel, you know, two massive teams in the top 14 historically fighting out for the Dominici Trophy, which was a very nice touch as well. But just bizarre to see two teams with such massive budgets and such decent players at their disposal um, going at it. And to be honest, Toulon burst into like a 17-10 lead. I thought they were good for the win and they kind of threw it away. Their discipline went. They didn't really do too much when they had their hands on the ball. They had two chances to score the first half. They did so. Um, and then the second half, it was a real struggle for them. They just kept getting pinged. Stade Francais chipped away at the lead. Nico Sanchez came on and kicked them onto another level. Um, but it was a strange game. Uh, Cheslin Colby, his first game back was a fullback. Again, we didn't see him, didn't get any of the ball. The only time he touched the ball was from, from receiving kicks. Toulon could not work him into the game at all. So it, it was bizarre. Um, a fair result in the end. Toulon got a losing bonus point, I think. Um, they'd spent the whole week in Paris on a camp to try and prepare for that game and take something more from the game. So they'd be disappointed. But, um, but yeah, strange one. Sounds like he didn't quite live up to the man himself, but it was a nice touch, wasn't it? The Christophe Dominici trophy, Benji. Yeah, I mean, Christophe Dominici, may he rest in peace, I think was born in Lavalette, which is like 15 minutes away from, from, from Toulon. So obviously Toulon was his was his club of heart and he played there at juniors, him and Franck Combat and all those those lads who who came up from, from the southeast of France up to Paris as nobodies, ended up French internationals for both of them and an absolute legend for, for Christophe. You, you got to say that... This this spirit of the old guard of Stade Francais has been revived by the fact that the the general directors Thomas Lombard mm. and Thomas Lombard and Christophe Dumissi were on the wing both for France and for Stade Francais for a long long time they're really close mates so the least they could do all that initiated by by Max Guazzini and all and all the old fellas and Sylvain Marconnet remember Mathieu Blanc was quite involved and Pierre Rabadan um, who now works for the Town Hall they they all created this this symbolic of you know, you've got to live, you've got to move on, you've got to to keep on marching. But if every year, you know, you could have a just a little thing for the big man and and to to dedicate a beautiful game that is close to his heart, to close to his family's heart, then I think it's a fantastic gesture. Maybe not for the Toulon fellas, it will not speak to them as much, but definitely for the Stad boys, it's something that's really important. And I, I love those things because especially you're going to celebrate a death by a game, right? by happiness, by hopefully full stadiums very, very soon and just an enjoyable evening. And Johnny, down that bottom end of the table as well, last week you said you thought Beerits might do it against Brief. They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> against 14 men for half of it, 13 I, for some of it. I know. And do, and do you know what? Over the past two months, they've been decent. They've been really playing some decent stuff, uh, even on the road, losing narrowly to Bordeaux. I think we talked about that game a few weeks ago. Um, they've been performing well, whereas this one, they just weren't at the races. And even as you mentioned, I think it was Paulos that got sent off on the stroke of halftime. They played against 14 men for an entire second half and they just couldn't crack them. Breve were organised, their mall, like Beerits could not contain their mall at all. They got absolutely dominated and it was one-way traffic. So, Rugby expert gets it wrong again. What do you know? Um, I know it was an absolute trouncing. Breve were very good, organised and completely dominant. And, and Beerits, again, now it's looking ominous for them. Uh, you saw it, Benji? Your boys did well? No, no. <laughs> my boys. I saw <laughs> No, my, I saw. I, I saw a little bit of it in exactly the same re- reaction as you because we've got one brain for the three of us. And, <laughs> and I saw a red card, you know, 20 minutes to go. Oh, Beerits can actually do it because Beerits play some seriously rugby. And then they were terrible for 20 minutes. They couldn't just couldn't get anything together. I also saw the end of, of Toulon, uh, of Toulon Stade. 
And I must say, I think in the 20 minutes that I saw Facundo Isa put about 12 big hits, he beast. melted people. He's a beast. He really scared me. But the other end of the scale to Toulon, we spoke about them earlier on not doing so well in Europe, in Dublin, but Montpellier, seven top 14 wins in a row now. They're flying, aren't they? Man, they're absolutely flying. And and they they did extremely well. What did they win in La Rochelle this week? That's, that's yep. the proper win. First time they've won there in 20 years. After still beating Crazy. Exeter. You know, so they did, yes, 80 points they lost in, in, in Leinster, which was revolting. But then they beat a full Exeter side, which mm -hmm. I didn't put them down to to win, to be honest, because they still had a couple of rotations. So I spoke to Philippe Saint-André the week of Leinster, not not about not so much about rugby, but I was more asking him for tickets for mates and stuff. <laughs> and he sorted me out and he was really nice and stuff. And I saw him after the game, I was like, ah, you must be gutted and stuff. And he's like, mate, 17 positive COVID tests in the last three, four weeks. How the hell do we train? But then they beat Exeter properly. Huge game, great performance. Really, um, they, they, they did seriously well. And then they back it up in top 14. So I think they're definitely back. There's some sort of sparkle about them. Philippe, you, you got to give it to him. I mean, he's everybody was doubting his ability to step up and to, to take over because remember, he was like director of operations. He wasn't director of rugby. And then there was the whole thing of if Franck Azema going to go there and yes and no. And what does that say to your second in command? You know, to Olivier Azam and to Jean-Baptiste Elissal and all mm -hmm. those guys, they are not living, you know, nice weeks because they're like, is the boss man going to come with, you know, is he going to leave? Is he going to bring some of his assistants? So there's always a bit of a shadow. I thought they did really well just to dig deep and, and take care of their own shit. Uh, and now they're proving everybody wrong, myself included, because they're stepping up uh, when it matters the most in those big games and winning in La Rochelle. That, that's a big old statement. It was different guys stepping up. There was Capelli in the second row. I'm not sure how much you've seen of him play, but you take Paul Valemse out. This guy came in. He was phenomenal, like ball carrying, destroying boys in the tackle, scoring tries, and they were just up for it. Yakuba Camera was playing second row as well, so it was a little bit makeshift as well for Montpellier. But they just made do, and almost the same against Exeter at home a couple of weeks ago. They just they look hungry, they look on it, they look settled, and yeah, they're on some run, seven eight wins straight on the trot in the top fourteen. Um, and you wouldn't bet against them. That's the crazy thing. They've got so much talent in their squad. They'll be up against Toulouse, Racing, Bordeaux come the end of the season, but looks like a happy camp, which it hadn't been for the past two, three, four seasons at Montpellier, which is very, very important, especially in this part of the world. Um, and they're playing some tremendous rugby. So no, I was delighted for them and a massive victory. We'll come on to France shortly, but Dupont, Entomac and Co were back playing for Toulouse before rejoining the France squad, but they still lost at home to Racing, didn't they? Well, to be, to be totally honest, they... Um... They lost to two Racing, who've had a lot of a lot of heat uh, under them for a couple of weeks. They were really under stress to to perform, and the little bits that I watched, uh, I'm not going to pretend like I watched all of it. I thought a couple of times I was obviously quite zooming in on Antoine Dupont, and you saw him do a couple of breaks around the ruck and stuff. I saw also a lot of times where the ball was in play, maybe 10 meters away from him, and he was walking. I think his conditioning is is off and you can't blame him, poor thing. I mean, he had COVID and he hasn't played. That was his first game since December, yep. mid-December, whatever. That's a lot, right? And there's a couple of, of him. Cyril Bay wasn't the same Cyril Bay that we saw in November. Romain Tamek actually didn't have too much of a bad game and, and Antoine Dupont wasn't there. But I saw one hell of a racing defense. They were absolutely on it. And it could have been worse. I mean, uh, the, the bits that I saw, Donovan Taufofinua, um, misses like to, just to pick up a ball for two meters out. He tries to kick it, you know, to put it in the end zone to then fall on it, but he kicks it too far. So it could have been worse. I think they really got dominated by the better side that day. No questions asked. I don't think it puts in jeopardy to lose his season. It doesn't put in jeopardy everything that they've done. 
Uh, don't forget that, you know, like I said, small margins during the week that you can, repetition is key, but also bloody hell, you got to play. You can do as much what bike and, and, and weights lifting as you want and internal training that you probably denied of because they're not, they're trying to prevent any, but any contact between the team. Um, and, uh, and, and that, that obviously takes a toll. If you're not getting better in sport and you're not just stagnating, you're officially getting worse. That's just, that's just how it is. So it's um it's a tough one i'm not overly concerned about them i was more impressed by the racing defense makes it exciting though you think about the years that we played in this league and almost racing 92 would never have sent a big team to go and play to lose it would be accepted that you would lose at that stadium whereas seems the past couple of seasons you know big teams are sending big lineups away from home and winning away from home and it makes it more intriguing more interesting more competitive and it forces that evolution you can't just rest on your laurels and when you're home games, you have to be good home and away every single week. So, again, I think it's good. It's good for the competition. It's good for Toulouse as well to have lost at this stage in the season, to, to ask questions themselves, to get better. Uh, Jean Bouillou was saying the same in the press. The forwards coach, just like the content of the game, he was disappointed they could not get their attack going. But like you mentioned, Racing's defence was fantastic. So like, disappointing for them, but a lot of guys coming back. Again, COVID ravaged another camp that hasn't been able to practice or train the way they'd want to, but a big victory for Racing. That's a huge scalp for them and a shot in the arm because they were disappointing before Christmas. And again, with the, with the recent signing, their tight head being bolstered by a certain South African that's arrived, great timing and they're back on track. And speaking of Dupont, Benji, did you see his GQ Photoshop? <laughs> because Johnny and I chatted about it last week and we reckoned he was taking fashion tips off you and your yellow gloves for that dressing gown. The Marigolds. I, I have always been, always been a trendsetter. It's just <laughs> that what is what defines me. On the pitch, people used to do exactly what I used to do. You know, I, I inspired so many guys, but I am deeply touched that Anton Dupont feels that he needs to pay tribute to you know to my courageous uh, outfit picking by <laughs> basically putting my Christmas gifts uh, from my wife, um, who's got the best taste in the world, obviously, but. Um, to, for the little story, those those yellow gloves that I absolutely adore and that I back to the moon and back, I put them out for my one of my first gigs for English TV in Bath, and I was getting so much stick for it, but like love hate sort of you know, type of stuff. That I love them, and I lost them. I lost them in, in a stadium. I can't remember which one. Some lucky bugger has got a pair of yellow lost gloves. Them. You know, <laughs> sorry, Andrea, I lost them. <laughs> no, I promise, I promise. And 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 I was absolutely livid. Now to the point where I, I I really I really was, and I got them again for Christmas. So. I'm chuffed. The only thing is, yes, he did try to copy me, of course, or at least the the, the designer of GQ uh, or, you know, the, the editor definitely tried to copy me. He was watching that game of BT Sport at Bath and he yeah, thought... Exactly. <laughs> well, he, probably, he, he probably stole them off me. He's he probably you know, got them. But let's face it, he's definitely wearing some sort of Mr. Incredible suit under that that that, that uh, pit mark. <laughs> it's not possible, mate. He look, he's built like a brick. Yes, he is a big fella. Don't get me wrong. He's short, but he's really stocky. But that, he looks like two meters wide. Pierre Mignoni, is he leaving Liam, Johnny? There's a lot circling in French press this week. Um, his, pre his president has, weirdly, his president has said over the past year, he will be here at least until 2023, but there's never been a contract extension or anything official. So, there was bits came out again in Media Olympique and, and French media this morning saying a decision or a statement will be given within 10 days, but his name has been circling at Montpellier. But I mean, I don't know. They seem to be going well and they're settled at Montpellier. I don't know what what role if you're going to direct a rugby and Philippe be more managerial. Um, his name's been linked with Toulon as well because that's his, again, you mentioned his club de coeur. 
where his heart is. He absolutely loves that club and Stade Francais and Racing as well. So there's all sorts coming out in the press, but I've got no idea if anything's been done, if anything's been signed. But he's done such a good job for Leon. You'd hope that he'd, he'd want to stay and stay on. But I don't know, Benji, if you get any insight, you know him better than I do. No, but Leon definitely took, went to reach a different dimension thanks to Pierre Bignoni. The 100%. only question is, how long can a coach's um, uh, power, you know, last? And that's the tricky one. And I thought it was a really heartfelt interview of Pierre Mignoni, probably six, seven weeks ago that I saw that. It was really, he, he's a genuine heart on his sleeve, hardworking machine. And he told the press that he was basically hesitating on seeing how impactful his or how much re reception his message still had on his players because that's all they care about, right? The message can be spot on. If you don't get them to, if, if everybody's got not one similar heartbeat, you know, it's a bit complicated. And he was just actually not. And apparently he went through a whole introspection of asking, is this message still heard? Is he still impactful? Has he still got the reins of that club? And his, and his feeling was that his adventure wasn't finished. And he said, I've got still got so much more to offer. Then I thought it was pretty, pretty settled and done deal. Now, until it's on paper, then it doesn't mean anything. And it might not have been top 14, but there is another game in France from the weekend that's been doing the rounds. Did you see the Federal game involving La Seine? A few big fights, four or five red cards. I, I didn't see the, the game, obviously, but I saw the highlights of that massive brawl. To be fair, man, I, I, it's funny. And then all of a sudden I'm like, that's not funny. <laughs> no. That's terrible. They see a guy like, there's a guy that jumps in, like almost doing karate kid, you know, sort of 180 um, degree kicks and stuff. I mean, that's, that's you can kill somebody. Um, and, and it's the last thing you want to see. Look, the generality is that this southeast of France are pretty, pretty heated to say the least. And, and then this is, this is, I said La Valette, that was Domi's former club, and La Seigne and Carcaran and Hier, which is Hier Carcaran. I think they, it's like a, a fusion. And Toulon and all those clubs, they are, they are hot, hot. And, and this is those local Dorids can, can pretty easily get to get spiced up. It's just, it's a bit unheard of because I think it's a while since we saw such a big one. There was one absolutely ginormous one in Bourgoin down uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago. If you yes. put most brutal fight, in it and it's like Bourgoin Agen um, that absolutely kicked off and to be honest Julien Bonner that I played with was right in the mix of that got suspended months and stuff and he told me yeah that, that was that, that, that was they almost regretted it because they're like we completely lost our shits we saw it wasn't rugby it wasn't uh, you know let's let's go throw a few punches after a scrum because somebody pushed us or a big tackle or something no it wasn't actually a, how do you say that a physical aggression because the whistle had been blown at half time and their number nine gets whacked by behind by their winger or something and they're like right it's a brawl so they're not on rugby field they're, on, they're in the street and they sort of regretted it because it's not the image they want to show and you can hurt somebody and all that no I was asked not not long ago that my last experience was was Stade Francais Beritz, but we had some beef with them when I started I started uh, um, my, my professional career. And we lost the, we won the semi-final of Champions Cup against them, Christophe Dominici, 82nd minute, scoring a try out of absolutely nowhere in Parc des Princes, saving us. And then six or seven weeks later, we played in the final of the of top 14 and we lose at overtime. Oh my word, that was a, a tough, tough loss. And that final was heated. And we really thought that they went over the line. And the first game of the season after that was Beritz, Stade Francais in Beritz. 
And everybody's like, ah, we, we got to prepare something. We got to prepare something. We walk in, you know, that little uh, marche de, de oxygenation, whatever, go, like, breathing, breathing um, moments, just uh, walk through before the game. And Silvio Marconi is like, right, if you, you really want to pay back, then the first crumb, we just go at it. And everybody's like, ha, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Like, no, 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 serious. If, if you really want to get them a bit of taste of their medicine, the first crumb of the game, it's a full-on 15 against 15. And everybody's like, hey, okay. And then after that, not a sound, not a word. Nobody said a thing anymore. We walked completely in silence back to the hotel. Everybody was eating. I think you could see the hands of the guys, you know, sort of eating. Like that. <laughs> it was a massacre. Hallelujah, I was on the bench. I think I would have pooped myself <laughs> if, if I started that game. I think, honestly, I would have put my raise. Um, listen, I'm not no genius here, but I think I'm like right in the middle of that, of that scrum. <laughs> It doesn't appeal to me like a very, very good idea, you know? And it was a surreal experience. And, and the first crumb happened not so long ago, not so long after the kickoff. And it just went boom -fa. And they caught them by surprise, I must say. They were really, so they got dominated, not because we were bigger and stronger, but just because we, they, we caught them by surprise. And, you know, when you're like, well, if my mate does it, I need to do it. And then here we go. But so that was my last proper, proper experience of a full, full brawl because they were on the touch line. Everybody got involved. There was a massacre. But I, I don't, I don't like to see those images anymore just because it's funny. I'm always afraid that it's going to be a bad, a bad accident. Absolutely. And Johnny, you've been down in pro today. You talk about how brutal it is, but not experienced anything quite like that. Not quite like that. I just, I find it amazing how things change because there was Sylvan Marconi and I just this weekend sitting in a soft play in Anglet eating donuts together. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's crazy how things change. No, I was really lucky. I also count myself lucky that my formative years as a rugby player were in Scotland and not in the south of France. Because it can be like, see, when you see some of the stuff that's going on in village rugby out here in Federal 1, Federal 2, National, some of the stuff that still goes on, I'm like, I wouldn't have wanted to come up through that because it can be carnage. But that side of it where people just wanted to go and start swinging, I was like, boys, we're all like 120 kgs. Like if MD properly connects, somebody's going to die. Do you know what I mean? And it was always big second rows that just want to go and like push each other and try and tickle each other's faces. And like, I, I don't know, it wasn't for me. Um, it was a Jim Hamilton type of move, but then it ended up costing us games. I remember being in South Africa in 2013. We'd never won in South Africa, I don't think. And we were, I think we were up by something like six, seven points. And he goes off and chases Eben Estabeth just to get his push in, gets yellow carded, gets sent off and we lose the game. Like, I just, I don't get it. There's people that love that angle of the game and love the being involved and trying to act tough. I just enjoyed the rugby. Like the physicality and the toughness bit was always in tackling or clearing out or ball carrying. But yeah, but I enjoyed seeing that video for the first five seconds. And then you realize what carnage actually is. It was actually, I think it was David Smith. It was Focus who used to play. Yeah. Um, down in Toulon um, and I played with him in cast as well who posted the video saying it reminded him of village rugby and Samoa growing up which gave me a laugh as well but um, again for, for three four seconds it's funny then you realize if anybody actually connects somebody's going to hospital and that isn't what our sport's about right it probably isn't going to come from Federal because you're absolutely right we can't be condoning that kind of thing but it is time for our meter moment of the week so do you want to get yours in first Benji yes please um <laughs> My, me too of the moment, you know, I, I repeat the same things about who's hot, who's hot, hot. And to be honest, uh, I was blown away, but this is my heart that's get, that gets hot when I speak about this, that this guy, because he's a top, top dude. And it's Paul Gedraziak, the big second row of Clermont. He really burst in on the scene 2015, absolutely out of nowhere. He was 19 year old, skinny and bones and stuff. And he was killing it. And he did really, really well. Got picked for the French team. Everything was a bit, a bit quick. And, um, 
maybe it's sometimes for certain things too quick for him. He's a top boy. I really got along well with him. I have a lot of time for him and I always wanted to help him out whenever he could because then he had the ups and downs of a normal, you know, high high level career. But he is one hell of a second row and he scored a phenomenal try against Poe. Like a 20 or 30 meter run on his own, cuts a guy, beautiful pass by Morgan Power off, off the base, bounces off the first guy, gasses another one and scores on, not under the sticks, but not far. Um, and I was chuffed to him. You could tell when he he, he stands up, he, he's been a long time coming. You know, he, uh, John O'Gibbs, I think, really likes him. John O'Gibbs is actually the coach in 2015 that started him for the first time. But then now well, there's a bit of Kim bien, chati bien, he said. If, if, you, if, you, if you like me a lot, you, you, you're harsh on me a lot, you know? And there's a, there's a bit of that in it. He expects so much out of him that he's really on his case all the time. So my meter moment of the weekend is definitely Paul Gidraziak's try. Paul Clermont, unfortunately, did not allow get Clermont to get the win in the end. But bloody hell, what a great line. Great, uh, great uh, fend off a couple of defenders to, to score. We should have known it was coming from Clermont. What have you got for his journey? <laughs> no, you can have it. You can. It was an awesome try. Again, watch it on YouTube, the highlights. It was a, a proper finish from the big fella as well. It's not often that boys that size get to run it in from 20, 25 meters. So no, I'll go with you. I was going to go along with Montpellier, the run they've been on, their first one in 20 years at Stade Marcel de, de Flandre. But no, Jadreziak can have it. That was a massive effort. Unfortunately, didn't quite win the game, but meter moment of the week. The big fella's try running from 25 yards. There we go. That was Benji and Johnny's meter moment of the week. And meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer. They've made over 9 million cooks better with their revolutionary app as well. So it's no surprise their users are growing rapidly every day. If you've ever said your pork or turkey's dry, then meter's for you. And you can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan. Enter a whole new world of cooking and join the metaverse at meter.com. And just use the code FrenchPod10 at checkout for 10% off any full price item as well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Let's focus on the Six Nations now then. A host of players rejoined the France squad on Monday after missing some of the preparations for the tournament through COVID or injury, including the likes of Dupont and Entomac. So Benji, how badly have preparations been affected? Well, it's obviously not ideal. You said a host, I think it's 14 guys. That's a hell of a lot out of 42. Don't get Huge. me wrong. Especially when it's the Dupont and the Entamac and the Cameron Wookie and the Cyril Bay and all those guys. You want to be repeating or, or you know they're going to start those games. Maybe not Italy, but they definitely want to be the, your starting team. So you want those guys to be there perfecting you know, their, their drills and the combinations and the strategy and all that. Of course. Now, there is also a big tradition in the squad of, of a lot of rotation and a lot of ins and outs. And I think they sort of get used to it. There's the reality of these particular guys that I just um, uh, announced know the, the ins and outs of this team pretty well. So I just think it's more of a concern over general overall fitness. Because as I said earlier, I mean, you can never replace uh, competition you can do as much fitness as you can. And Antoine Dupont in particular looked pretty rusty on Saturday again uh, racing. Does he need 40 minutes against Italy and then we'll be back for Ireland? I most definitely think so, but it's, it's, it's better, it's easier said than done. So not ideal situation, not ideal um, preparation for sure. However, I just I, the, the overall ambition is still there. The spine of the team is really strong. If you look actually for the, yes, there's been ins and outs, but now that the final squad is there, who's missing? Mohamed Awas will probably be in and out and he's going to have some personal trouble, so he's got to deal with it yeah. okay. There's, you know, there's not that many. There's Arthur Vincent probably, who's been a starter for the whole 2020, but I think he's got an ACL injury that he did a couple of couple of months ago. He's still not back. Yes, they have Gael Ficou, Vakatawa, Jonathan Danti, who stepped up against the All Blacks, who was one hell of a machine. You know, so there's depth everywhere. There's really some absolutely class players everywhere. There's what Teddy Thomas that pulled out for from injury. I'm not even sure he would have started. I think it's more Gabin Villiers and Damien Penaud. So it's a really exciting times to, to, to for, for the French team with also, and I think that's the, the one of my main point uh, of this chat is now it's pretty clear how World Cup 2023 is just around the corner. They went to train in Cassis. Cassis is next to Marseille, right? And they trained with the Foreign Legion. And I know the Foreign Legion because with Stade Francais, we used to go there quite a lot. So Fabien Galtier was at Stade Francais. Max Guazzini introduced them because he lives in Cassis. And the Foreign Legion, for those who don't know, is not the French army. It's a, it's a special force that fights for France, that represents, that decides to uh, defend France. But it's, it's a really special institution. It's for the toughest of the toughest. Not to say that there's a hierarchy of toughness when you talk about special forces. They're all pretty tough, all right? Don't get me wrong. But these guys are are extraordinarily tough because there's something like you need to drop your identity, you know, to, to join them. Uh, and then if you do well, then you can gain the French uh, nationality. So it's, you're almost fighting for your survival, really. And and they went to Cassis and they trained over those guys. And all of a sudden, there's the lieutenant or the colonel of, of the section who said, yeah. And in 2023, this is just like a, an appetizer because in 2023, the preparation will take uh, the French national side to Guyane. Guyane, South America, toughest training center in the world, right? I don't think it's been done many times in rugby for guys to go all over, uh, no, maybe not, I don't know if it's considered Caribbeans, but you know, sort of in Central America. So everything is regarding is 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 up to that. 2023 is now. You you hear the boys, it's it's around the corner. They need to win, they need to deliver, they need to grow, but the excitement is definitely there. So you've got part of the squad who've been through the toughest training camp ever with the special forces and part of the squad who are 
a bit behind because they haven't had any game time. Yeah. They've been isolating. So what are we expecting against Italy, Johnny? A win. Um, <laughs> I think simply, I think every other team in the championship will expect a win. I think even, I think the French side, I think last week they had seven of the 15 that were involved against the All Blacks were available to train. So it's not been ideal. And the week before, the first week's games generally is, is about systems. So lineouts you're going to bring in, familiarity, going through your drills, lifts, calls, um, and getting ready. And then really the first week is a team run. You're not training too hard. You're just sort of nailing final details. And they haven't had that week prep. But I think you have to look with a little bit of fortune. They've got Italy first up. I think if they were playing against Ireland or England in the first week, you'd be worried. But the fact that they have Italy first up at home in Paris is a huge boost. So, I, I, and again, I, even though it's not been ideal, there's enough in the tank. They've been together long enough now. They've shown what they're made of. Their systems are settled and they absolutely can They absolutely can stick 20, 30 points on Italy, even if they haven't been together for the past two weeks. Um, I mean, in Italy, Treviso have been playing well in the United Rugby Championship in fits and starts, but I don't think they have enough quality to seriously bother um, this French side next weekend. And you mentioned Mohamed Hawass, Benji, in court, I think on Friday, on burglary charges from back in 2014. Not ideal timing for Fabian Galtier, obviously, but will France miss him? Whenever I, I don't say that he's going to start, he ends up starting. They've got a lot of faith in him. I think he's absolutely adored within the, within the squad for his personality, his charisma. He's, you know, he's that big teddy bear with a, a big smile on his face that gets everybody pumped. A bit of a social figure for them. And on top of that, he's one hell of a tight head prop. But at the moment... Demba Bemba has really come back from injury and he's just incredible. And he off the bench, I think he was um, during the November test, he was really good. And big Winnie Antonio, <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to be big to take the shirt off because he, he he's really, really stepped up to the plate. His handling ability back to his absolutely ginormous size and power in the scrum just makes it complicated not, not, not to get in there when he's on form. And at the moment, he is ridiculously on form. Montpellier beat them in La Rochelle, but when he came on, he almost turned the game almost on his own. And I saw just last couple of scrums, he was melting the guy in front of him. And that final play where if they run the pitch, they could have won. He uses his big old tank and genius hands to just go around the pack a couple of times. And he almost created something out of nowhere. He is, he is something else when he's on form. So yes, moment I was, I think maybe it's the clever way of doing it. Let him breathe, let him concentrate on him. Hopefully he won't have too much spotlight on him to deal with that personal matter. And let's just hope that if he's involved in any way in, in this stupid event a long time ago, well, he pays and he moves on and everybody deserves a second chance. And in terms of the fly half selection, you obviously spoke about Roman Entomac returning for Toulouse at the weekend after being out with COVID. jalabert has been injured, but is back now in the squad. Is there any kind of debate about who's starting there? All I know is that Jalibert, just before he picked up that small injury, was really playing well. He was He was playing outstandingly well. But let's face it, um, that France All Blacks game, the performance that Old Man Damak laid out that night, is is honestly absolutely all the way up there in the in the all time performances of tens in the history of this of of the French rugby team. He really really stepped up in a way that I didn't even think he was ready to, especially after playing twelve uh, for the last two weeks before. So Fabien Galtier, Raphael Libanez, they know how hard it is. They know he's a special player. There's no doubt about it. 
I think the best way to do to prove him um, that how much they they believe in him is 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 to involve him back. Now you mentioned it, and I think that was sort of the the, the angle of your question to to Johnny earlier. What are they going to do? Are they going to start with the guys who've been here for the last couple of weeks against Italy, and then keep it on the bench and leave them another the week, like like Johnny said, to allow them to actually go full tilt at training rather than just doing the little drills. That's going to be some clever management. I just seen. I just think that if they had to play England tomorrow, Romain Tamak, fifty percent of visibility or not, would be starting with number ten. Well, also, if it is a muscular injury that Jali Bear has been struggling with, you'd bring him in so he's part of camp, but you wouldn't involve him in the first week. You give him that extra week to try and get right firstly, and then look maybe the second block of games to get him back part of the squad. But he's just so important. I, I, again, you've got two, in my opinion, world class tens in France right now uh, and they're very lucky to have them but he's just not somebody you'd want to bring in stick on the bench and bring him on cold for him to break in a game against Italy you want to wrap him up another week protect him uh, and bring him in as part of the squad in, in rounds two, three, four. so look for me Roman Intimac has to start along with Antoine Dupont the combination they have both club and country now has been superb for two, three, four seasons but again you'd be looking for Jalibert to come in to finish things off and to spectacular as he has been over the past couple of seasons for Bordeaux and for France. And is Cameron Wocky going to be considered a back row or might we see him start in the second row like he did in the autumn? I, I don't know. All I know is that for me, he's he, he's the player to look out. If you rewind just a tiny bit, February 2020, uh, Charlotte Livon is the number six and captain. Uh, Villemse and Leroux are the best, you know, locks we've, we've seen in a long, long time. And he's barely involved. And we know that there's like a slot to take um, as a back row and we're speaking about Anthony Gelon, but he's got to adapt to Toulouse. We're speaking about Cameron Voki, but he might not be destructive enough and he's a bit, he's a bit young. We're speaking about Sekou Makalu, like he's capable of doing incredible things, but he's a bit uncertain. <laughs> My word has Cameron Voki come, come a long way since then. He's been absolutely phenomenal in November tests. He was sensational in Australia. Uh, so um, in the same way that Anthony Jolon really stepped up, capacity to cover number four, number six, capacity to lead the line out. And I think it's something that is, can be underrated, but it's a bit like, you know, when you pick a guy, sometimes he's not completely the best player on the field, but he's got leadership ability and he's experienced and he's a great kicker and all that. Well, calling the line, I'm telling you, and you can ask Johnny, he knows better than I do, is absolutely no jokes. It's a real, real skill. You can be the best jumper in the world and be the worst uh, line not color it really is something something else so for him to have both is ginormous that means he reads the line out he's great in defense so he might not be the flashiest thing to do but he's he's transformed himself into one hell of international rugby uh world-class player um that is too good not to have involved and now he's clearly too good not to start definite starter johnny second row or back row back row for me I think if you look through the team, I think Valencia, the way he's played the past couple of weeks as well for Montpellier, he has to start. He's been brutally good. Um, the question for me is who... So I prefer Walkie as a back rower, but the question is who do you start at loose head lock? Bernard Lowe had a proper game against Toulouse. I know, but he was not involved in the Autumn Nations. Um, True, but the Autumn Nations, it would have been... Apparently, Fabien Galtier said... I didn't know. Did you Did you see that? They said that the way that they handle their their... their their decisions is that every Monday, each member of the staff throws in a, comp- uh, a lineup, a starting 15, if they had to play a game on that Saturday and not just any game. Let's just say, we need to play New Zealand, we need to play England, whatever it is on that Saturday. Who do you start? 
And every Monday they receive everybody's uh, team sheets. And he was saying that before it would go all over the place. Just there was not a lot of unity, but they needed to chat about it. And now they are apparently coming up with relatively the same teams every time. And he said apparently that Kylian Gerasi, uh, who uh, who is injured, would have started on the, at that lucid number four okay. uh, lock position. So I think Villemse and Romain Tao play the same role. Both fives, tie head locks. So either he goes for Thibaut Flamand, uh, who's been outstanding off the bench, uh, or or he sticks Cameron Vauquier at lock, or uh, he goes with Bernard Leroux, who's had a monster game against Toulouse, and they love him. It's an interesting one, because for me, just the physical, the difference in that loose head lock, traditionally, is aerial ability, um, line-out time, calling. But you're in, in this team, your back row is your caller. And I just think when you're going up against teams like Ireland, when you're playing against England at this level, physicality is absolutely massive. Like for me, I love watching Bernie LaRue. I think he's fantastic. And I think that he has, a, in my mind, a little edge over Thibaut Flamand just with phys- physicality. But I don't think that the French staff see it that way. I think they'll go with Thibaut Flamand at um, loose head lock. And I think they will keep the, um, the the same old boys in the back row. But again, just you mentioned the different teams that you could pick, the different combinations and each member of staff has a different view, probably as we do too, but the choices they have to make are difficult because these guys are performing week in, week out in the top 14. And they've also just come off the back of a win against the All Blacks. So can you really go changing that team after they've beaten the All Blacks? That's the other thing. Um, and I would say they probably won't. They probably won't mess with it too much because they've performed very well together as a unit so far. Just a quick one on Italy, because they've had fairly disastrous campaigns in the past few Six Nations, but the very young squad, Paolo Garbisi playing at Montpellier, what do we expect from them in terms of how they'll match up against France? I'm not. I'm not sure you can expect anything different than um, than the last couple of Six Nations. I don't see any extra sparkle, but. What what really shocked me is is the the contrast between the performances in November of all the teams that we speak about and and theirs. I think they just they barely beat uh, Uruguay. Is there a capacity for for Italy to step up? Are they still a handful? Absolutely, of course. I mean, there's some good players and stuff, but I'm not saying just being a handful. I'm not just saying can, um, can they beat teams? Ireland in November were untouchable. England, out of a rotated squad, bloody hell, they did really well. You know, Scotland, when when they have their full capacity, their their full team, are always there. Wales were terrible last Six Nations. They won it. (laughs) So, you know, we're like, like, they're dead and and they they won it because they can beat anybody any day on on anything. And then obviously France and Ireland, England, whatever. So I just feel, I I don't understand. I don't see how it can be uh, different. Does it mean that they're going to get 100 points by everyone? Of course not. But I just don't see how they can oppose a, a, a proper threat considering I don't see any major changes, any ma- major big guys. Like, I don't know, when you had Jake Poledri, Negri that were coming through, and Garbisi, and Minozzi, the fullback, you're like, oh, there's actually some guys coming through and, you know, that can be a serious threat. I don't see them. Uh, I think the gulf is just too big, unfortunately. It's not for a lack of wanting it. I think everybody wants them to step up and perform and take a scalp in the Six Nations, just not Scotland. But that's it. Everyone's willing them to do well. Everyone wants them to do well and everyone wants them to win. But at the minute, what they produce in the URC and what we've seen, like Benji mentioned, in the Autumn Internationals and in years previous, it just isn't anywhere near. That being said, as Benji mentioned as well, 
they are capable of one-off performances. They're capable, like when you come against Argentina or any Latin, Latin Sangan, as we say, down in the south of France, with that type of temperament, they're capable of pumping themselves up and coming up with one-off performances. And I've been on the back of them before with Scotland, so you just never know. Um, but this weekend coming up against France in Paris, do they have what it takes to beat them at the Stade de France? I don't think so. And I think it could be a long old day for them too. Right, we've spoken about the preparation, some of the detail. Let's get down to the big one now. France haven't won the tournament since 2010, Benji. They've got three home games, including big ones against Ireland and England. Are France going to do it? Like you said, the, the, the draw of the calendar is, is too important. Three home games, especially, no disrespect to anyone, but you host England and Ireland, which are the main threats in the Six Nations if you base your, your predictions on the November hotness. And with, with the, the fact that you're starting with a relatively slow start, having uh, Italy first up, so you, you can almost you know, get your engine roaring and stuff. Absolutely, we can't hide. I think France will do it, this, this Six Nations, and I'm completely pushing for them. Now, a Grand Slam, bloody hell, that's a tough old ask. Because imagine you do Italy and then you do Ireland, which is going to be one hell of a game. And they're going to have to seriously step it up, especially with the way that Leinster are coming back firing now, which is basically three quarters of that side. And then they've got, they've got to go to Scotland. It's, it's never easy. You just never know, really know what to expect. Then they've got to go Friday night in Millennium. millennium. Yes, of course, they should be dominant and stuff, but you just never know. Stadiums are going to be fully packed now. <laughs> it's going to have its its importance too. And then you only finish by the little English, you know, who can trot along in the Six Nations and <laughs> maybe lose one game, but they could position themselves as the perfect outsider for that last game, have absolutely nothing to lose and come and ruin the party. And that's the ideal solution. So no, I think six, I think a Grand Slam is complicated for absolute. Oh, it's super complicated anyway, but it's going to be too much of an ask for anyone. I still believe that the biggest threats are England and most definitely Ireland. I'm very scared about Ireland. Considering in November they really really impressed me, but I see I see France with their ability to concentrate finally on on one target, their ability that uh, or their inability to hide anymore by the fact that they need to win something now, now. And especially, like I said to you, if you look at the squad now, touch wood, nobody drops. Apart from Arthur Vincent, I don't think they can hide behind injury. Yes, maybe lack of, of conditioning, but that can get picked up by that Italy, Italy game. So I, I, see, I see France winning it. I hope they're going to win it. That doesn't mean they're going to win the World Cup. That doesn't mean they're going to put them any step further to, to anything, but it would finally put... Um, position themselves where, where they are. Not just pretenders, but actual real contestants. And you mentioned it, Johnny, they need to win something now. France are the bookies' favourites. We've seen yep. the progress. It's been almost visible, almost like a constant upward trajectory under Fabien Galtier. Is this their time? They are bookies' favourites with good reason. And that's because of their performances. Um, and Fabien was the man himself. And actually recently, over the past two, three weeks, there have obviously been pressers and chats with players and coaches and the messaging, the messaging that's come out has, has been the same. You know, Fabian a couple of months ago said, this team is now ready and confident enough to go on and win something. Are they going to do it differently? You never know. But the word Benji mentioned is contenders. The past three, four, five seasons, they haven't been in contention or really in a position with their game, with their squad, with their management to win anything. And nobody's had any confidence. This year is the first time in a long, long time the French rugby public has believed that they actually can go and win it. And that's the important bit. The fact that they should be there or thereabouts. The draw has been kind to them. They've got some massive test matches to get through, but I mean, how awesome would a, a final weekend be the sort of the Super Saturday, a crunch against England at home to Proper. go for a Grand Slam? It would be 
phenomenal. Uh, and look, I think everyone wants it to come down to that day. Do I think they can do it? Absolutely. Will they do it? We'll wait and see. They've got a squad that's settled. They're now fantastic to watch both sides of the ball. They're structured, they're organised, they're hard to break down. And as I said, they're bookies' favourites for a reason. But talking about Ireland and England tripping them up, it's been Scotland away in recent years, hasn't it, Johnny? Home and away. They've lost their last two against Scotland. I, I don't know. I, I think the level of the competition in general for me is as high as it's ever been. It's as even as it's ever been. We mentioned Ireland and England, but I think generally a lot of those teams on any given day can beat each other. Um, they're well coached. They've got, if everyone's got fit teams, the difference for me is Wales have got a lot of people that have been out with injury, but you never know if COVID hits a squad, <laughs> like panic button and you get decimation. You just never know what's going to happen. So it's even as it's ever been, but France are as well poised as they've ever been since 2010. This this potentially could be their year. Um, and yeah, just looking forward to seeing it kicking off. Right. It's time for you two to put your money where your mouth is in terms of the round one games now. The Guinness Pint Predictor from Match Pint is back and we're going to get your predictions in now. It's the same tried and tested format where you can predict the scores, beat your mates and win pints of Guinness. All you have to do is pick the winner of each game, how many they'll win by, that simple. And you can go head to head with Johnny and Benji as well to prove you know more than them by just entering the league code LaRugby once you've downloaded the MatchPint app. So check it out, get involved, join our league and win a few pints of Guinness along the way as well. Ireland, Wales, first up. Benji, what's happening? Well, good job you told me that one first because I was just thinking about the Kakuta <laughs> Cup and phwah, that one's a tough one. Um, Ireland, Wales, I see Ireland willing, not particularly convincingly because you still need to get into the competition and stuff, but I still think they, they are the most impressive team I've seen uh, in November for different reasons, for the way that they handle the All Blacks, obviously, but how they backed it up about 50 on Argentina the week after. So that's that's no no little no little achievement. So Ireland to beat Wales by 15 points. Oof, you said tight and you've gone by 15. No, That's no. much bigger than I thought you were going to go. I've gone Ireland by 13 as well. I just think with the, again, the way they performed in the autumn, the brand of rugby they're playing, the speed at which they execute, the way the provinces are going, coupled with the injuries that Wales have had over the past six months a year. Yeah, I, I just, the same, nearly the same score. I'm going to go Ireland by 13. Um, I think they'll just be too good for Wales this weekend. You're excited about the Calcutta Cup, Benji? <laughs> I am. I'm super excited. Look, that's that's the beauty of Six Nations. I'll be commentating that one for French TV. I'm I'm absolutely delighted to go up there for that game. You know, every French fan or every rugby fan, forget about French, Scotland, England is is a game that that we, everybody adores. It's it's special. It's everything we like. That rivalry, the history behind it, the anger, the hatred that then is going to be poured in in a bit of rugby and so a few pints afterwards. That's that's ideal. Uh, Murray Field, you know, the the acapella moment of of flowers of Scotland is still is still a breathtaking moment of rugby. Uh, in England, all dressed in white and, you know, impeccable as they are. You never know how it's going to go. Are they going to get absolutely trashed because they, they haven't, you know, they underestimated how angry the Scotsman can be or will they still convince me of that they're properly back? They beat the world champions. Even last minute, Marcus Smith, they beat Australia, they beat Tonga with a rotated squad. I mean, if you ask me the question, end of October is that Eddie Jones lost the plot. He, he just announced to the group there was 10 guys, absolutely never heard of them. I, I do know who they are now because, because they're pretty good. Um, so he knows the things of two, the things of two. But that's a really tough one, especially as an opener. The reality is that I still think that England are a little bit on top. Um, there's been a, a marginal injuries. I think it's uh, Farrell and Courtney just for the reason that I told you, I think 
Scotland will sneak a win, but it will be a very short one, mate. It will be it will be absolutely marginal. A full strength England, I think, would have done the job. I think they're just going to be slightly off, but by those couple of injuries that they picked up and how things need to be rotated last minute. And so I will go for a one-point victory for Scotland. It's a big call, that, Johnny. Do you agree? Why? He's a smart man, is Benji Kayser. Um <laughs> I just think as well, Scotland have had some real joy against England over the past couple of seasons, you know, winning for the first time at Twickenham since 1986. And again, just those injuries for England in key positions. You just think now with Scotland, everybody's fit, they're in form, Finn Russell, Stuart Hogg, they've been there, they've done it, the confidence to do it again, hopefully. And again, it's going to be special, packed out Murrayfield. And you just think the time is now for Scotland. If they're going to do anything in this tournament, we haven't seen a crop of players like this this is the best generation we've had in a long, long time. So again, it's not going to be easy. You think about the wider context, there are more referees registered in England than there are players in Scotland. That is the scope of what you're up against. It's ridiculous, but I think this little band that we've got are well-coached, they're well-organised, um, and they'll be up for it at Murrayfield. So I'm going to go again, a short victory. I'm going to go for Scotland for four points and retaining the Calcutta Cup again. France, Italy. One-way one street, um, France will win pretty comfortably uh, by 30 points. I would agree with Benji again. I'm going to go a little bit shorter just because we don't know what's happening with prep. So I'm going to go France by 25. I think we just have too much firepower, even though they've had a disrupted training schedule. I just think we'll have too much for Italy who were disappointing in the autumn. So France by 25. We will see. And this isn't part of the game, but give us a prediction. You both think France are going to potentially win the tournament. Who are we looking at for player of the tournament? I said, I said uh, oh, player of the tournament depends who's picking. If it's stupid journalists and fans, they're gonna go <laughs> Damien Penault or or Romain Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no. But otherwise, for the specialists, I would have gone for Cameron Woki. I really think it's going to be the Six Nations. Yeah. If he stays injury free, is going to see him really step up again and again and see how he can good he can be because it's his long tournament five games is a, is, a, is, a, is a lot of games there's a lot of minutes of international rugby to 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 play uh, I would have gone for the for the Norse I would have gone Cameron Woki for the for the flashy and the highlights I think Damien Puno is coming back on top form and he's one one brutally good finisher uh, so I would have picked him you got me Tim I've got no idea well depends who's fit and who starts somebody like Vakatawa who's not been on form at all in the top 14 but realistically, if he comes back into the side and starts at 13, causes absolute fireworks. So Vakatawa, somebody we haven't spoken about, but absolutely has the X factor to stand out in a Six Nations tournament. And if France go well, he should be in the end of a few tries, as will Damien Peno. So I'm going to go Vakatawa. Top try score, are you sticking with the French theme, going with Damien Peno, Benji, or anyone else you think might be up there? Try score? No, no, definitely Damien Peno, Gael Ficou, <laughs> Peato Movaka, if he keeps on going, he's, he's scoring 20. Um, stick with Damien Pino and Dupont as well if he sticks on those trail lines the amount of tries he gets on the end of on those support lines I'm going to go Antoine Dupont wouldn't happen in your day Benji but you could be right hooker scoring tries left right and centre for all nations Ireland, England so could be a hooker I told you I signed in Clermont in 2011 because Vern Cotter told me oh we have this system where the hooker stays on the edge and yeah yeah I saw Maiore this man he used to score 15 tries sign me up first day of preseason. <laughs> I had a genius idea. We're going to put all the starting fives right in the middle. Ben, I want you to take all the slow ball in the middle there. You know, the really small ones. We have three kamikaze oh, oh. guys that throw themselves at me. That was me. <laughs> uh, that, that was my responsibility. No more hanging off the wing. I, I was by a mile too too slow <laughs> to be on the wing. Don't get me wrong. But still, well, I, well, I, I wasn't fast, mate. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Don't sell yourself short. 
Yeah, true. There you go. You heard it here first. Piato Mavaka, top try scorer. <laughs> Damian Penno, player of the tournament. It's France's year. What's this coming home in French, Benji? <laughs> Don't get me wrong with this, mate. Don't get me going. It's coming home. You guys never had it. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you on about? Get the French fans to, to listen to the, the World Cup song. And it was Ramener la coupe à la maison. Right? So bring back the cup to, to bring the, home, the cup home. Have you heard that? It's actually a great song as well, Tim. Of course it is. It's catchy. Yeah. I'm off to look it up right now. There you go. We can't wait. It could be France's year. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Benji. And thanks to all you guys for listening as well. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can as well. Check us out on Rugby Pass as well as on YouTube. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers. See you, fellas. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.